0: time for this week's edition of the Source Weekly Update, hot off the press and into your ear, every week found wherever you get audio. And now let's take a look at a couple of the highlights found on our website, bensource.com. A Redmond man's COVID-19 story and a plea to take quarantine seriously. As fellow townspeople demonstrate in favor of reopening the economy, a healthy 38-year-old Redmond man shares his battle with the virus. While some angry Oregonians protest stay-at-home orders and call for reopening the economy, those who have actually been diagnosed and hospitalized, such as Redmond local Michael Wilder, suggest that everyone continue to follow orders around preventing the spread of the novel coronavirus. After roughly one month of social distancing, and abiding by Governor Kate Brown's stay-home-stay-safe orders, some Central Oregonians are ready to get back to work. A recent Facebook post, written by a Ben local, on the subject of reopening the economy and getting children back to school, reads, Fear is a powerful motivator and hard to throw off. Leaders are clinging to their original decisions when the situation has clearly changed. Instead of changing with the situation, they are doubling down on the original data. I'm afraid we have reached a point where we are hurting more than helping, especially in areas with little-to-no-virus activity. It's time to reevaluate our situation. Many Oregonians commented on the post, weighing in on the current circumstances and either fighting for a reclamation of freedom or insisting that it is far too soon to throw in the quarantine towel and return to normal day-to-day living. Meanwhile, Redmond City Hall was the site of a demonstration on Friday, in favor of reopening the state's economy. Time for all of us to get back to work. If people are scared to leave their homes, they can stay. But 90% of people have nothing to fear. It's like getting a cold, wrote one Facebook commenter. But for Redmond, Oregon local and COVID 19 survivor Michael Wilder, his experience didn't resemble the common cold. Not at all. As he puts it, Oregonians tend to have a strong independent streak. We don't really like the government telling us what to do. Though, as Wilder soon witnessed firsthand, listening to government guidelines can quite literally be a matter of life or death. The otherwise healthy 38-year-old recently came out the other side of a near-death experience with COVID-19, the disease caused by the virus. The symptoms came in a two-phase series, really, he told the source weekly. First, I developed a very high fever, body aches, joint pain, a striking pain in my temple. These symptoms lasted for around a week. I felt on the up and up when the symptoms started to subside. And I figured I was pulling through the other side. However, the following Saturday, I started having trouble breathing. On Sunday morning, the breathing issue was more significant. I could still carry a conversation, but I was really struggling to breathe. I checked into the Redmond Hospital and was transferred to St. Charles and Bend. They tested me for COVID-19, and while it took four days to get the test results back, I was presumed positive because all of the symptoms lined up. Nobody was surprised when the CDC responded and confirmed that I was positive. Wilder was moved to the intensive care unit, where he was put on nine liters of oxygen. The doctors and nurses told me that if I had come in any earlier, I would have been turned away, he said, and if I came in any later, it would have been really bad. As far as near-death experiences go, it turned out to be as well as it possibly could have. Wilder's symptoms lasted for two weeks total, and he was advised that he could stop self-quarantining 72 hours after the last of his symptoms were resolved. His wife and children, who were exposed before he was admitted to the hospital, were advised to self-quarantine for 14 days after their last exposure to his active symptoms. While many who lack first-hand experience dismiss the virus as a non-threat and nothing more serious than the flu, Wilder is proof positive that even healthy 30-somethings are at risk of death if they don't have immediate access to professional medical care. It's not something to freak out about, said Wilder, but it's absolutely not something to dismiss. The health care system is swamped. They aren't really trying to drum up business. There was some shortage of PPE for the nursing staff while I was there, though. I will say I was really impressed by how they prevented that from impacting my care. It isn't about getting sick or not getting sick. It's about having someone there to help you breathe when you can't breathe it's about not all getting sick at the same time for me the symptoms got very serious very quickly respiratory symptoms are scary i highly recommend following the guidelines implemented by healthcare professionals if you're having trouble breathing check yourself into the hospital it's a really big deal i encourage people to take it seriously and finally St. Charles' nurse shares an insider's perspective on caring for COVID-19 patients. He's on the team intubating patients in Bend. This is what he wants you to know. David Hildebrand is a registered nurse who usually works in the operating room at St. Charles Bend. He serves on the board of the Oregon Nurses Association as a negotiating chair for nurses who work for St. Charles Bend. When the hospital shut down elective surgeries in the beginning of March, Hildebrand moved to the front line working directly with COVID-19 patients on the intubation team. We chatted with him about his experience. I think a lot of our readers are interested in an insider's perspective from someone who is working on the front lines of this pandemic. So, first of all, how are you doing and feeling right now? There's a cautious optimism mixed with an inevitable anxiety. Anytime there's a pandemic, you know you're going to be on the receiving end of the most affected patients in the community. That's where the anxiety comes from. But on top of that, because this is a new contagion, CDC guidelines and hospital guidelines are changing every day. But we've also seen caregivers, community, and hospital partners work together to limit the number of patients that we're seeing who require hospitalization. That's the optimism. But I'd like to make it clear. Homemade masks are a good way to supplement our PPE, but it is certainly not meant to supplant the guidelines established prior to the pandemic. Different masks need to match the standards to the situation for which the mask was made. There's been some talk among epidemiologists about the inaccuracy of the low numbers of official positive COVID-19 cases, the numbers both released by hospitals and the Oregon Health Authority. Given that testing has been so limited in Central Oregon, do you think the low number of COVID-19 cases reported in Deschutes County, 62 as of April 22nd, are a reflection of the reality of the spread in this area, or are we only testing the very sickest cases? Our inpatient numbers are reflective of reality. The internists and physicians I've spoken with at the hospital have said there has been an increase in the number of people with a pretty classic presentation of COVID 19 that have come into the hospital or who need hospitalization. We might not have an accurate number for how many community members are sick, but if you are sick in the hospital because of a respiratory illness, We are prioritizing, testing, and quarantining these cases. What is your day-to-day like at the hospital? I'm one of 11 nurses that have been taken into the intubation team to work with COVID positive or suspected positive patients. We're a group of nurses and anesthesiologists. We've been trained specifically and wear maximally protective equipment. You're right in the center of this pandemic here in Central Oregon. What is that like? I'm one of the nurses that sees these patients, absolutely, but I'm also provided with really good protective gear and a very strict protocol. The nurses, the anesthesiologists, and the hospital administration researched this illness at the beginning and came up with good protective measures. There's been some critique of hospitals, not just St. Charles, but hospitals all over the U.S., for forcing their staff to work without personal protective equipment or the appropriate kind of PPE. Every hospital has different constraints, but there remains a universal shortage of PPE. Do you think St. Charles has protected your team adequately? They are matching the level of protection with the level of exposure. We're doing that as appropriately as we know how. If everyone had the level of protection that the intubation team has, we would burn through so much PPE. The hospital has provided us with airborne precautions. The staff has cloth masks at the very least and those have filters in them that make them more appropriate. As you get closer to patients, people are using single-use masks. What's your perspective on St. Charles and the administration, and how they've handled the coronavirus pandemic? One of the weaknesses of the whole country in the beginning is that it was difficult to tell who was taking it seriously and who wasn't, and when that began to change. The strength of the decision-making at the hospital is most represented by their willingness to listen to people on the front line. That came from a request from nurses in the operating room to stop elective procedures, to stop surgeries, to save PPE. St. Charles was the first system to stop elective surgeries in the state. They listened to nurses and partnered with us and took the most conservative approach. At the time that the hospital stopped elective surgeries, Deschutes County already had a few cases, but there were no inpatient cases in the hospital, so we stopped before we even had an inpatient case here. The Oregon Nurses Association put pressure on the administration to start providing masks to staff in places that were thought to be low-risk. It was soon after that the hospital allowed everyone to wear masks and began partnering with community members to make homemade masks with a filter. But I'd like to make it clear. Homemade masks are a good way to supplement our PPE, but it's certainly not meant to supplant the guidelines established prior to the pandemic. Different masks need to match the standards to the situation of which the mask was made shouldn't be using masks over and over in some situations, shouldn't use a cloth mask when guidelines say to use a surgical mask, the right equipment for the right job. So, how has the hospital dealt with PPE shortages? At certain times during this pandemic, it's not should we use it? It, if we use it here, is it going to be available at another time? This was when we had the expectation that our numbers would be a lot higher. Luckily, we haven't gotten to that point. Speaking of that, How do you feel when you hear news of politicians and elected leaders making plans to reopen the economy? Here is where the sense of impending doom comes back in. If social distancing has been the thing that worked, what happens when we end social distancing? It's just a logical calculation. We can't go from having the lights off to having lights on. We need to slowly turn them back on, while still limiting movement and contact between people. Almost certainly we would see a surge otherwise maybe one that surpassed our numbers for previous projections. The pandemic response has turned into a partisan issue. As someone who is living the experience of COVID-19 every day, do you feel like the governor has acted appropriately? Absolutely. Shelter-in-place when it was made was the right decision. We can't look at the low number of cases we have, which were the intended result of precaution, and then say, oh, we were too cautious. There's no winning in that solution. We put in procedures to protect the community and got the intended result. Going back and removing protective measures, we should expect to see the result that we had initially anticipated, like a spike in cases that overwhelm the healthcare system. Until we have a vaccine that can be mass-produced and given to the community, we're not rid of this. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Source Weekly Podcast. Be sure to pick up your free copy of the Source Weekly wherever you find yourself in Central Oregon or log on to our website, bensource.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Scholl.